Greetings, everyone. I am delighted to present a special bonus episode of Faculty Focus. Today's guests are Professors John Brown and Charles Hallisey. John Brown is practitioner in residence in religion, business ethics, and the economic order at Harvard Divinity School. And Charles Hallisey is the Yehan Numata Senior Lecturer on Buddhist Literatures at HDS. Together, they are the co-faculty directors of this summer's professional and lifelong learning program at HDS, Making Change, The Graciousness of the World, and A Life Well Lived. Thanks for listening and joining us today. Let's go ahead and jump right into the interview. My first question is simply, for this year's Making Change program, why did you choose the theme, The Graciousness of the World and A Life Well Lived? Why did, why did you choose that theme? The theme of A Life Well Lived, you know, emerged last year. That was part of the title of Making Change last year. And in terms of just going forward, oh, I mean, questions, seeing the, the very idea of what is a well-lived life as an excellent starting point for reflection with others. Uh, that That's where that aspect of uh, you know, the theme of this year's Making Change first emerged. But it's an open uh, kind of line of inquiry of what contributes to a, a life well lived. Last year, in the we began with really a, a statement of uh, attributed to the Buddha that the whole of a life well lived uh, can be uh, summarized as friendship between people, mm-hmm. and us asking, well, what could that possibly mean? That this year's theme of the graciousness of the world kind of emerges out of in a particular way that very idea of you know what is it that makes it possible for human beings to make friends with each other? Mm-hmm. I don't think that anyone is taught how to make friends, even mm-hmm. though you know in different cultures the rules of making friends are different and so on. But people make friends with other people across cultures, across all kinds of other differences. And uh, that you know, p- possibility that human beings seem built to make friends seems part of this idea of the graciousness of the world. What is mm-hmm. there in the world that makes uh, good things possible for us that are given to us and not something of our own creation? Mm-hmm. I would add to that the idea of wanting our participants to engage with texts, some religious, some spiritual, some secular, in ways that would will create a deeper sense of their belonging to one another, mm-hmm. to the world, to the planet, to their own ancestry and our and our collective ancestry. And we are also particularly aware that we have such a finite period of time Mm -hmm. with them, that we have steered away from the kind of knowledge-based, skill-based traditions that go with executive education and continuing education. Because our desire is not only for learning to take place through multi-layered experiences during their time with us, but that we will reignite and or ignite sparks within them that will last far into the future. We saw that last year. And very truthfully, last year was a 
an opportunity for us to do learning as well. So it was not just mm -hmm. a one-way street between the teaching faculty or between Charlie and yours truly and the students. It moved in both directions and included, of course, our conversations with our guests, our special guest last year, who was Colin McCann, the author of The Common Read, A Paragon. So graciousness to us is also one of those jewels, one of those nuggets, what Howard Thurman calls a sudden lift hmm. that enables individuals, when they slow down and reflect, even momentarily, to see not only more deeply, but more clearly. Hmm. As I think about the word graciousness, I can't help but um, think about how timely that feels within this moment in society, within the world right now. Um, how top of mind was that for you both when you were developing the program for, for this summer? Well, we are people of this time, so it, it has to be something of that inevitably. But I do think that it was self-consciously so that uh, we were thinking about uh, our present times as a time where it's easy to not only note differences, but to build on differences into really uh, uh, ugly and self-destructive patterns of behavior. So it seems to be that we just you know, come to it very easily. But it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. And then the idea, well, how can it be otherwise? You say, well, there's things in the world, the graciousness of the world, that shows us you know, that it's always ready at hand to mm. be different than our current times are. Mm. I think Charlie said it well. Mm. I, I, I was listening to him just now and thought about the graciousness, frankly, that I have felt in working with Charlie mm. these last two years. Um, our process of developing the theme both this year and last year emerged from a great deal of conversation. Uh, rather than going to the textbooks or going to some other source, it was based largely, if not primarily, on discussions about ways to address some of the broader issues in society mm -hmm. without labeling them or targeting them or making them the center of the conversations that will ensue in June. It wasn't that we wanted to avoid those subjects, but rather we wanted to dig deeper. We wanted to say, what are we missing? What can we discuss, read about, talk about, and revisit that will allow us to advance not only the conversations, but what we think is a desire among the participants to grow, to grow in their relations, whether it's in a business setting, whether it's in a medical setting, or whether it is just with their own relations. And so um, graciousness is something we sort of landed on the more we had these discussions. And Professor Halsey, you had mentioned in a previous interview that we, that we had um, you actually spoke quite personally and deeply about one of the benefits for you in co-leading making changes is that you've been able to grow closer with Professor Brown and to form a deep friendship. Was, was that something that either of you were surprised that, that had developed? Was that something that you were even thinking going into this process? I can say categorically, absolutely not. Mm. It didn't cross my mind 
at least not initially. And our styles are, I think, very different mm -hmm. in terms of both our experiences and our areas of intellectual interest, our approach to design, and the way those two worlds blended was just absolutely amazing. It, was, I, it certainly was not from a concerted design or effort or framework, if you will, mm -hmm. but we landed on our common interest in reading mm -hmm. and have exchanged multiple books. Charlie is extremely sensitive in terms of his relations. I come out of a, a business background, and so my writing tends to be very direct, very pointed, very, at times, some would argue, I suspect, insensitive <laughs> <laughs> in my efforts just simply to get issues across and mm -hmm. in our co-editing mm -hmm. uh, we have we have i have enjoyed at least sharing my drafts with charlie and mm -hmm. and watching him patiently return them with a little softer language <laughs> and it's done with what has come to me and what has made me more aware of what I just said a moment ago, his deep sensitivity about human conditions and human relations. Mm -hmm. And so he's made me significantly more conscious of how communication, how language can serve as a bridge builder, mm -hmm. even when it's not the immediate objectives. So um, how we came together, Frankly, we've laughed about it in the past. We don't know. But I, for one, am grateful for these last two years that we've worked on this this project. It's been, and, and I say this not because he's sitting next to me in this podcast interview, but it's been one of the most exciting personal and intellectual journeys I've been on mm. throughout my career. I can add that what John just said and took the words out of my mouth. Completely surprised. Hmm. Uh, by uh, what's emerged between us, a connection. Um, we are really different in all kinds of ways. But for me, that difference is only complementary, hmm. not anything that causes a kind of friction or frustration, but it's just simply complementary. And John has like a very keen eye and he articulates what he sees very, very clearly. And some of the things that he says, they're pithy, to the point, uh, they're not insensitive, and they stick with me. Mm. And so one that John said the other day that I've been carrying around since he said it was, well, we should never let ourselves be satisfied with good enough. Mm. And mm. that, uh, I said, that's right. That, that is too easy a temptation to just say, oh, you know, it's, it's just good enough. Let's uh, mm. be with that. Mm. It, like, Ed, this is my whole experience with uh, Making Change program, but particularly like working together with John and seeing the possibilities of what it could be of our, emerging from our conversations together. There's a Sri Lankan Canadian uh, author, poet, Michael Andache, who has a poem that he wrote that's addressed to his, uh, his teenage daughter. 
which meant a, means a lot to me in terms of how my experience with my own daughter. But he has a line in it in which he says, when I imagined a daughter, I never imagined this, hmm. but I like this better. Hmm. So when I would say, oh, when I imagined doing stuff on making change and then doing it together with John, I never imagined uh, what has happened. I never imagined this, but I would say, I like this better. Hmm. And I think that that's like a lesson for the whole Making Change program. Mm -hmm. That when we, we see problems, we have problems everywhere we turn. And when we try to imagine solutions, somehow they're just not adequate. Hmm. But if we find other ways of allowing, say, the graciousness of what happens between friends, between people that you're open to, uh, the graciousness of the world, some other thing presents itself that hmm. almost always is saying, oh, I like this better. Hmm. And the big lesson is that it's never noisy. It's never something you say, oh, you know, here it is. It's, it's like small moments, uh, mm. you know, things that you weren't attending to. You say, oh, let's go in that direction now. It almost seems like what you're talking about and the connection that you two have made, this lasting connection, is almost sort of poetic with a word that I have come across when when learning about past making change participants and how they view their experience. And that is one of forming lasting connections. And I think it's it's a beautiful thing that it's hap it's happened here with the two co-leaders as well. I wonder, I wanna I wanna stay on that idea of making a lasting connection with making change participants. H how does that happen? How does the course the readings and texts and all of the the offerings, how does that enable lasting connection from the Making Change participants? Truthfully, I don't know. <laughs> all that, is that I do know is that it happens. Hmm. And it seems to happen very readily. Hmm. Um, maybe the big lesson is, you know, I have to let it happen. I have to uh, get out of the way sometimes so it can happen. And you know, say, oh, this idea of you know, the graciousness, graciousness of the world is you know, part of that graciousness is that it does happen, that people make connections in ways that oftentimes the, the most powerful ones are the ones that you're surprised by. And that, that's one of the things that I think for the participants last year, John and I, you know, last year continuing, like, like constantly astonished, you know, by things that mm -hmm. said, oh, I had no idea. Uh, and that, that I think also is where you allow someone to be larger than you imagine them to be when you first uh, meet them, readings, uh, other communities, other persons, and so on. You say, oh, in that uh, openness to uh, the possibilities that are in front of you, that I think is the key thing about the whole program of making change. Hmm. One of the lessons I learned from Charlie last year was a simple phrase, less is more. Hmm. When we were 
designing the four and a half to five days, there was a point at which we were thinking about adding another conversation, another presentation, another block of time in which the participants would be engaged with either facilitator or themselves. And Charlie shared that in just a, a very almost offhanded way, but it came to mean a great deal in that the way I received it is we can step away from feeling that we have to control every waking moment mm -hmm. that the participants are with us. And it was almost as if graciousness was a part of last year. We had to give the participants and ourselves room for graciousness to grow. Mm. And you can't do that, at least we don't think we can do it, when there is such a fixed routine established that students don't have and participants don't have time to reflect, don't have time to step away and to allow the experience to move within them. Another term Charlie has used this year in the context of graciousness is afterglow. And by stepping away, as I mentioned a moment ago, that afterglow could shine on the groups and individuals without Charlie or John Brown stepping in the way. Mm. And I think that's what we what would have happened if we had added one more event or one more activity, or even if we had added five more individuals. Mm. The, the mix, the number, the ambiance, all those things help to work together to bring about what Charlie just described. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you're both MDiv graduates of Harvard Divinity School. Um, why did you both decide to get MDivs, and why did you decide to come here to, to HDS? Um, you both have very different backgrounds. So even though you weren't here at the same time, how, how did you end up at the same place pursuing the same degree? I would say that John you know, had been doing things in the business world and came back and went to the Div School. I was on my way to doing something, and I just had a detour or a, a stop before I did that other. And so there's a way in which, you know, you say, well, my own story might be, you know, I did it before, and John did it after. But I think that, you know, when we talk about it together, both of us value what happened to us. Uh, we had very, perhaps, different self-understandings about what we were doing. I, I would frankly say I was just confused. <laughs> and, uh, but I was surprised. Uh, and in terms of looking back, some of the things that I would say, well, I got during the three years in the MDiv, that as time goes by, I value more and more. Hmm. And that part of what John and I do in terms of the Making Change program sometimes in our discussions, I would say, oh, what we're trying to do is to distill what we value the most out of the MDiv program hmm. and say, can we kind of put it in this, in this Making Change program? Mm -hmm. And that's not only for the sake of the Making Change program, it's for the sake of 
Harvard Divinity School at large to say, oh, this, when you're looking back, this is something we really value. Mm. We wanted to give it to the future. I think a lot, you know, the, faculty, the university faculty union in Sri Lanka, that I know a lot of people who are part of it, they had this beautiful slogan one time when they were on strike of, let's turn our inheritance into our legacy. And so one of the things mm. I would say, oh, the MDiv, you know, gave me things. It was like an inheritance that I didn't deserve. And that part of making changes to say, oh, but I want to kind of make it part of a legacy for other people to benefit from what was given to me mm. so freely and in ways that I you know, didn't imagine when I you know, came here. Mm. Something Charlie mentioned about my journey here that I would just simply underscore. I am a strong proponent that students, especially in the MDiv program, should work for some brief period of time before coming here. Hmm. I think that the MDiv is much more than a than a an intellectual journey that for those who are interested in academic careers, it may be less important. Probably is. But for those who see themselves as engaging, whether it's in the nonprofit world or the for-profit world, there are lessons that just simply cannot be taught in a classroom. They can't be taught in the classroom across the river at Harvard Business School. They have to be not only learned and experienced, they have to be ingrained in ways that allow students to understand themselves in relationship to the world in a non-intellectual sense Mm -hmm. in order to optimize the offerings, the opportunities not just here at the Divinity School, but at this wonderful university. So for me, I am, for lack of a better expression, eternally grateful that there was some separation between my MBA and coming here to the MDiv program. I think just that that 11-year distance enriched my time at Harvard Divinity School in ways that I probably could not have imagined earlier, but that I wouldn't trade for the world. Mm. Why here? Truthfully, because I was comfortable with the university. I had come as an MBA student, and I knew the terrain, if you will, of the general Boston area. I wanted to travel inside the world of faith traditions, and did not believe I could do it on my own. Hmm. I wanted the guidance that scholars like Charlie and others um, could help me through understanding the texts uh, in my tradition, which is Christianity, the New and the Old Testament. I couldn't do that in a way that would do justice either, in my view, to the material or my desires by doing it independently or doing it sporadically and episodically. So the encouragement to come here was rooted in my relationship with my father, who Hmm. thought that this would be an excellent place for me to land for two to three years, and he could not have been more right. Hmm. Professor Brown, when you were speaking, you were mentioning the differences between Harvard Business School and Harvard Divinity School. You have a foot in both of those worlds. Um, And so I'm wondering... 
if you could talk a bit about the experience for making change participants, especially in the classroom and in the conversations and the teaching, what is what is the experience like? Um, what what can program participants um, ex- expect? I, I think again, I would have to give a nod to um, to Dean Hempton, whose invitation to me to come here was predicated in part on the fact that I did have a foot in both worlds, and his desire to embrace the larger desire of One Harvard and how we can institutionally remain true to our own mission, purpose, and vision, but at the same time invite conversations and even shared experiences that can enhance our respective mission, visions, and objectives. So in the case of making change, uh, one of the differences this year is that our faculty will include Derek Van Beaver and his teaching approach of using a case to engage students, to put them in the situation of decision makers, of understanding the nuances, challenges, pitfalls, and options that can accrue when one has to be the decision maker, is a way for them to see that the graciousness is not something that's confined to a, an esoteric conversation, but that it can be inserted into approaches that managers, leaders take in solving immediate, tangible problems in areas of interest. Hmm. Um, and so the, the sort of business school pedagogy, if you will, is, is really about solving problems. It's about moving resources, people, capital in a direction to achieve a particular end. And based on both the experiences we encountered during the five days last year and the subsequent meetings that we've had with participants um, in the period since then, most of them are very interested in problem solving Hmm. and realize that in this eclectic world in which we live, no one discipline or tradition has a lock on options and opportunities to be effective in solving problems. And so uh, the kind, earlier you asked about what we hope participants to gain from participating during the five days, and one of them is to, to look at the world around them and themselves and see possibilities that otherwise would not have come to them. Hmm. Resources. And those resources could be some of the material we cover or the resources could be one another. Um, Hmm. That if we help just one participant move outside her or his or their immediate comfort zone, to embrace an, an idea, a concept, or have the courage just simply to try something different. That's a measure, it's a metric, if you will. It's an index of what we hope uh, is an indication of meeting the needs and objectives of making change. Mm. Wow. Professor John Brown, Professor Charlie Hellesey, great speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. 
I hope you enjoyed this special bonus episode of Faculty Focus as much as I enjoyed my conversation with Professors John Brown and Charles Hallisey and hearing about why this Summer's Making Change program is such a valuable experience to those looking to get a new perspective on the challenges they face and to establish long-lasting connections with others and to just make an investment in themselves. For more information or to apply to Making Change, find a link in this episode's show notes or visit the HDS website. Until next time.